This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. This podcast is sponsored by Monarch Money. Are you saving to reach your financial goals? Reaching those goals isn't just about getting more money, but by managing what you have. And the best way to manage your money? Monarch Money. Monarch Money is a new kind of finance app that's intuitive, powerful, ad-free, and takes the headaches out of budgeting. Try it free when you go to monarchmoney.com slash podcast. Monarch puts all your accounts, investments, transactions, and finances at your fingertips. With a complete view of your finances, you'll gain insights on your spending and find new ways to save. Plus, Monarch lets you customize your dashboard, collaborate with your partner, set custom budgets and goals, and track your progress toward them. See why Mint users are turning to Monarch Money and loving it, and why the Wall Street Journal named Monarch Money the best budgeting app overall. Get a 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash podcast. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H money.com slash podcast for your free trial. Monarchmoney.com slash podcast. But out of that, a new holiday was born. A festivus for the rest of us. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and man, oh man, I just realized my savings account is paying like zero interest. Well, I think we need to do a whole show just on that. The guys here decided we're going to be talking about a little thing called planning boring. How come more people don't do a financial plan? We'll discuss this topic with our roundtable team this week, joined by a woman you've read in the New York Times, L, Slate, Vice, and more. Help us welcome Paulette Perhatch. And from Afford Anything, say hello to Paula Pant. Plus, from our very own podcast, we welcome OG. That's not all. In our Friday FinTech segment, what if you had a 401k you could save into for your first home? We'll talk to the founders of digs.co on today's show. Of course, still leaving time for a listener call for help and my incredible trivia. And now, firing up the engine on this podcast one more time before the weekend, Joe Salciha. Can't wait for the weekend, but first, we've got a fantastic show for you today because we've got awesome people here on my dad's shortwave with me. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Very and, awesome. And across the table from me. I'm sorry. Yeah. Oh, and, and what do you mean and? And, and OG's here too. <laughs> on top of the awesome people, we also have OG. Isn't that great? Oh, boy. Yeah. Right. How are you, man? You know, it's uh, two weeks from a very important day, so I feel pretty good. Oh, yeah, Christmas. When uh, yeah, is a little more important than Christmas. Is that Hanukkah? Nope. No? More important than all those put together. Oh. Um, I'm at a loss. Uh, let's go to Las Vegas, Nevada, where maybe Paula Pant can help us. Is it your cat's birthday? It probably is the Very cat's birthday. Very close. <laughs> close. Is it your kid's birthday? Well, your, your, your favorite kid. Yes. Nope. I would say yes. I would say absolutely his favorite kid. Yes. My favorite. Yes. His favorite kid. And joining us from Seattle, Washington, it's about time we got her on the show. Paula Perhatch is here. Hello. Hello. Thanks for having me. Well, what do you think? OG says uh, most important day. What do you think? Is it your birthday, Paula? No. I don't know. The end of the fiscal year. The end of. (laughs) (laughs) Unsure. Unsure. Technically, I guess that's a pretty accurate statement. It's the end of someone's fiscal year. Yeah, I'm still at a loss. But you know what? If you want to give yourself a gift for that special day, OG, you know where you go? 
I bet you'll tell me in a second. You head to magnifymoney.com because when you go there, Paulette, I don't know if you know this, the average person saves $450. How about that? I need to do that. I think in Seattle, doesn't $450 buy you like a cup of Starbucks coffee? It's like one 10 ounce indie created honeybee honeycomb and like a braid for your hair that goes down made out of some kind of tree. Yeah, some kind of tree, but but you didn't harm the tree while making it. No, we did not. No. We're very sensitive. <laughs> We're a very sensitive people here in Seattle. <laughs> you can't do that. But at magnifymoney.com, you can get the money for that because you get to go to the one place where they have over 90% of all the financial products that are available, whether it's checking accounts, savings accounts, credit cards to play the reward game if you pay off your cards as you should every month, or if you don't pay less interest to the man, stackingbenjamins.com forward slash magnify money. We've got a fantastic show. Paulette, it's about time you got here. Thank you so much for having me. There's there's fewer dead bodies in the basement than I thought there would be. So I'm excited about that. I was a little scared. You looked in the trunks. Oh, man. There's, there's trunks over there. Yeah, so easy, easy. People know, people know where I am. I just want you to know that. <laughs> you told everybody? Yeah, I did. Like, you know, same thing people do if they're like going on a Tinder day. They're like, hey, FYI, She's- I don't know these guys that could be creeps. She's Just, like, going on Stacky Benjamins, this is either going to end up great or I'm going to wake up in a bathtub without one of my kidneys. Like, <laughs> one, one or the other. Those go, those go for pretty high in the market. So, yeah. luckily, luckily, Paulette, it's option one. But we're happy you're here. We got a great show today. So, let's get this party started. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show our Stacking Benjamins headlines. Our headline today comes to us from a guy that, uh, another guy that we should have had on the show long ago and we still never have, but we're going to quote his work. Our friend Doug Nordman, AKA Nords. Uh, this is from the Military Guide blog and it's about the fog of work. And Paul, if you don't mind, could you tell everybody a little bit about what the piece goes over that we're talking about today? Sure. He talks about how we're constantly working. And even when we're not working, when we're with our families, we're teaching our children how to grow up to become good workers. Even when we go on vacation, we are working at being successful at taking a vacation. So we're constantly working. And that's uh, the big theme that he repeats throughout this piece. And then he talks about kind of ways to make and execute upon a plan to not make and execute upon so many plans. Well, that's a frustrating thing is that Paulette, we're working so much that we never, it seems like he's saying we're working so much. We never really create a plan. I have so much to say about this. Uh, I lived on a Marine base for a while. So I think one of the things, especially with the military is your job is your identity and letting go of that for a while and taking a step back to ask the big questions. And I loved how he said, try just being for a while instead of doing For me, one of my formative experiences, and I feel like this uh, aligns so well with what Paula has gone through too with the two years of travel, is the two years that I was in Peace Corps. And Mm -hmm. just, I mean, you were like forbidden. I tried to get things done. I tried to get a lot done. And like it broke me in how much it just makes you sit and be for a long time and ask those deep questions. So I think that it's a huge problem where. You know, in other cultures, people have a gap year, but we don't do that as much in America. And I wish we did. It's hard, by the way, speaking about just sitting and being like Mm -hmm. being comfortable with that time is hard as hell for us. Mm -hmm. I think what is enough is a really interesting question for our culture, you know, because we have the Puritan side where it's like work, 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 but then you don't want to be lazy either. Like what is enough? Because, OG, you got to get that question all the time from clients, because I remember I used to, the, how am I doing versus everybody else? I can't believe you didn't say something about the fact that I've had a gap 20 years. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that was literally sitting right there for you to take. When it comes to comparing ourselves to others, that's why we always do those Facebook quizzes, because we want to know how many states have we been to that other people have gone to? How many countries have we been to that other people have gone to? Don't do the Facebook quizzes, by the way, that ask for your mother's maiden name and the last four of your social. Those are totally Russian hackers. But besides that, we do live in a culture of, you know, more is better. I mean, it's even been glorified in some pop culture stuff like the Wall Street movies, right? Like, how much do you need? that much more. I'm, I need more. And uh, it is challenging to take a look at your own situation and say, this is good enough, or I'm happy here. All these studies about units of happiness above a certain amount of income and all that sort of stuff, I think that there's something to that. I like this idea, Paula, that he presents 
that uh, we don't long-term plan as much as we end up places by happy accidents, right? I've, I went to a loser high school, so I'm going to go to this cool college that my girlfriend goes to. And uh, then I break up with her like within two weeks of going to that college, but I'm still there. So I might as well do X thing. And I, the whole reason I have this major is because I have this one professor who is fantastic and that kind of shaped my whole view of this thing. And I end up, if it feels a little like he's presenting life as more of a pinball machine than us actually having a series of concrete goals. Yes, but sometimes even when you have those concrete goals, life has a way of making its own plans. There's a famous quote from John Lennon, life is what happens when you're busy making other plans. So sometimes even as you are progressing towards a given goal, there will be detours. You know, you you might have followed some some girlfriend to a college, but that might have been because you were planning on getting married and that was like actually part of your life plan, but then that doesn't work out and so then you have to regroup. But I think there's a lot of people out there that say then, so why do I plan at all? I mean, if, if it's a bunch of happy accidents, why do I even do that? Why don't I just let the life come to me instead of me go to it? Well, what I would say is to what degree of randomness, what degree of volatility do you want that pinball machine to take you? Like if you have a generalized direction that you're going, then sure, the pinball machine might bounce you around but it will bounce you around within a particular track. And that track will at least be, broadly speaking, the track that you want. But that's my In other words, you can make plans as long as they're not, even if you make specific plans, those precise specific plan might not work out, but something approximate to it or close to it might end up happening. I feel like my, my writing career is such a good example of that. Did I ever expect to have a essay on money go viral and have me end up here today? No, this is not anything within what I planned for my writing life, but it's so funny and such a surprise. And it is within the realm of what I had prepared for and tried to get, but it, so I think it's really hard to kind of move toward a goal, but also leave this space around it for life to have its own plan as well and not see that as a failure. Like now that it's coming on the end of the year, I think back to what I planned for this year and I'm like, oh my gosh, so much of that did not happen. But the things that did happen were really good as well. And I think I did enough for this year. So Paula, that's, yeah, go ahead, Paula. Paulette, when I was in my early 20s, my goal, the aspiration that I had for my life was to do exactly what you're doing now. I really wanted to have a byline in the New York Times. Um, (laughs) I was a newspaper reporter for like this small little paper. And that was just that was my dream. I thought that if I could do that like that, that would be it. But, you know, my trajectory just worked out differently. I went from newspaper reporter to freelance writer to blogger to podcaster. And that's Mm. how I ended up here. So you, you can see the progression, but you can also see how there's no way I could have planned for that. What point is it that you're chasing opportunities versus chasing squirrels? Like sometimes you see people and you're like, yeah, that's totally a squirrel moment. You shouldn't do that. I mean, I'm wondering, Paulette, for you specifically, so you write this piece about the f*** off fun, right? You write this piece, the piece goes viral. When you first decided, okay, I'm going to pursue this instead of, I believe, were you in an MFA program at the time? So yeah, I was like Paula, I was a small town reporter. It's so funny. We have so many similarities. The St. Augustine record making, you know, twenty six to twenty eight thousand dollars a year. And then I went to Peace Corps and then I came back and I was like, I want to be a creative writer. So I was getting my MFA in fiction. And then yeah, the fuck off fun thing happened and I got an agent and they wanted me to write a financial memoir. So I made the decision to go after that. And I had realized the last few things I'd published had been essays and had had themes of class and money in them. So I was like, okay, this is obviously something I'm interested in. And a lot of my mentors said, you know, you go through the doors that open. So decided to pursue that. It was so funny because that year I wrote a book proposal, which takes about three months. It was 95 pages and I sold the book, but they weren't the same book. So the financial memoir didn't sell because people wanted a more prescriptive book because we don't have enough. And I'm like, the title at the time before I knew about Gabby Dunn was Bad With Money. So I'm like, it's called Bad With Money. What makes you think that this should be a prescriptive book? That's so funny because we don't have enough. I can see like you're tongue in cheek, but people at home can't see that. Yeah, because we don't have enough prescriptive books. We we need two more yeah. of those people to appear on our podcast. If we if we, we get a <laughs> we get a couple more of those, the world will be good. OG, when you're counseling people, I mean, you're working with people on their financial plan. 
people want to chase opportunities. And yet you look at sometimes that opportunity isn't where their bread's bartered. How do you decide that this is worth going for versus counseling them to keep on the path? Firstly, I have to delete my prescriptive book for money. <laughs> Apparently can't do that anymore. I mean, we need we need them from experts, not from writers who happen to write about money who are terrible. Like, with like money. I said, I'll I'll be deleting my book. Um well, and that's the difference between planning for your future within reality, I guess, and being okay with a little bit of happenstance around the edges. I was talking to somebody earlier today, and we were talking about investment performance expectations versus the financial planning process. And I said, you know, our expectations on your money is that it's going to do this, but we're going to plan for it to do that, you know, a lower number because, you know, if it doesn't meet our expectations, we still have to reach our plan goals. And at the end of the day, that's the thing that matters most. So if that gives, uh, if it gives you some flexibility, you know, if you're young and you're 28 and you're saving $4,000 a month and you're like, I don't have any idea what my future holds. Now is not the time to go. So the smart thing for me to do is to buy a $3,500 a month mortgage payment and a $600 a month car. Like save all that money so you have the flexibility in 10 years from now when your life does go a different direction. Or, and you in, say, or six months from now even. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't have to be 10 years. But I mean, again, we've all had different paths throughout our life. And I would have never thought in a million years that we'd end up where we are now. But you want to take advantage of opportunities that are there. Paulette, like you said, walk through the doors that are open, but also recognize that you're doing that so that it gives you flexibility in the future that you may or may not take advantage of. This piece is called The Fog of Work. Doug Nordman is a military guy, so he's kind of comparing it to the fog of war. But he talks, Paula, a lot about just the fog of life, about how every once in a while that fog opens. How, how strongly do you feel the fog of life? Ooh. Wow, that is a deep question, Joe. How, str <laughs> how strongly do I go about my daily life in a bit of a fog, unaware of the way that I'm being led by life rather than leading it? Darn. Oh, geez. Can I? I mean, isn't that what Burning Man is all about? Just like getting <laughs> out into the desert and being like, let me rethink everything. That's what I thought, Paula. If anybody's thought of this before, it's Paula. So, well, yeah, I mean, Yes, I do think about this a lot, but I really don't believe that I have a lot of control over my life. I believe in operating inside of my circle of influence, meaning that I will spend my time and energy on the things that I can most directly influence. But at the end of the day, there are so many things that happen that are just just so far outside of my control that my ability is in many ways, to respond to what happens around me. Like, okay, so for example, I happen to be healthy. That's great. That's not really the result of anything that I did. I just happen to have gotten lucky in that regard. I happen to live in the United States. The major attributes of my life are nothing that I chose. And I can respond to the circumstances that I have and try to improve them to the best of my ability. But... I'm not sure that we have that much control at the end of the day. So you think a lot of the control that we have in life is is fiction? Like we're on a um, escalator? Third rock from the sun. Yeah. Mm. yeah, we're on an escalator? Well, I think wisdom is the ability to hold two ideas simultaneously that on the surface may seem contradictory. And so I believe simultaneously in the importance of working inside of your circle of influence and in really internalizing the idea that it's not your fault, but it is your responsibility, I very much believe in that personal responsibility and that personal taking of action while simultaneously acknowledging that so much of what happens is timing, chance, the downstream consequences of butterfly effects that happened years or decades ago or generations ago. Both of those are true. You're saying then you very much feel the fog. Yeah, I do. But, you know, inside of a fog, a literal fog, a person still walks. Sure. Like in, in a fog, a person still takes the next step. It's like you've, you've figured out how to navigate and be comfortable with the fog. I think what it is, is I accept responsibility for my actions while surrendering the outcome. Paulette, do you look at that the same? 
Well, what I'm thinking about is this year of just craziness. And I totally feel like I'm in the fog right now. And I actually have, it's surprising to hear you talk about it that way, Paula, because to me, you seem like someone who lives with so much intention on such a large scale. Like when I think about someone in the fog, I think about a lot of the things that he mentioned, which is, you know, a day job you don't really like coming home, watching that 3.5 hours of TV and then sleeping, eating bad food. You know, so many people are sleepwalking and you don't seem to me like you're one of them. But to me, I've really been thinking about how I want to use this trip I'm taking in December to get out of the fog and to really think big. And I read a bit of the book, Deep Work. I still have to finish it. But, you know, he talks about how so many people take a week off just away from screens and away from work to really think it's the difference between looking down and making sure you don't trip on the next step and looking up at the mountain and seeing what direction you're going in and taking your map out and saying, am I on the right path? And I've had a lot of really big questions this year. But for me, I feel like one of the things that really woke me up was when I was 17, my dad died at work one day in an accident. And so that was such a formative lesson for me, more than I realized at the time of just like one day, like there's your shoes, there's your watch, there's your clothes, and you are just gone. Not everyone has that experience, I realize, And so many people let life just kind of dribble away. And I love that research about the top regrets of the dying. And the number one regret is I wish I'd lived life in a way that satisfied me instead of trying to satisfy the people around me. So I think a lot of people are living in that fog. I think that's why, OG, you talk so much about planning is balance and not as just looking at the future. Well, there has to be. I mean, to what what's the purpose unless you have a big goal at the end of your life? Uh, what's the purpose of having $25 million in the bank and never taking your grandkids to Disney World? And I get that Disney World is super expensive and it's over the top and all of those things, but it's also a great experience for everybody. I've never, I don't know that I've ever met anybody that's gone like, oh yeah, this place sucks. <laughs> it's awesome. And it's a lot of money and it it is a frivolous expense. I get all that. But what's the alternative? You know, if you've accomplished all your goals or you're on track to do those, it's like when somebody says, should I save this $30,000 or should I use it to pay down my house a little bit faster? Like, uh, I mean, that's really, a well, what makes you happier? Does, does having a little bit lower mortgage balance make you happier? Does having a little bit more money in your brokerage account? Both of them have the same outcome. And you can nickel and dime it and say, well, this, the interest rate arbitrage on this is, and I get all that. People yeah. do that crap. Yeah, like Lou on the internet does that crap <laughs> way too By much. The exp- expense ratio of the <laughs> you know, and you're just like, stop, dude. Like, just chill. It's all right. You know, it's okay to pay people. It's okay to, you know, I don't mow my grass. I got other stuff I want to do, you know, and it's cool. Other people like to do that. I don't pass judgment. But the thing is, is at the end of the day, you got to do what makes you happy but not only what makes you happy. <laughs> it's yeah. like the it's like the saying of, you know, Uncle Bob died and he gave you three million bucks and you go, well, what can I do? And it's like, well, you can do anything you want, just not everything you want, you oh. know? So, so that's the important thing. I guess do the important things. Paula, your big takeaway from this piece? Well, I certainly like that you can do anything you want, but not everything you want. <laughs> I've heard that before. <laughs> yeah, I've heard that somewhere. Some brilliant person who is an amazing writer, an excellent podcast host. I didn't know and- he was a writer. Thank you. I, Thank you. I, 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 didn't know, I didn't know he was a writer, Paula. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say the takeaway is uh, from Doug's piece, the idea was to be more intentional. But from our conversation, I think a lot of what we've talked about is that there is a a balance between being intentional, but also being open to happenstance, and walk then, through the doors that are open. Paulette, will give you the last word on this. Your takeaway? I think remembering to flow back and forth between the big picture and the small picture and making sure you have those times where you step back to really think about what's most important before life forces you to do that in ways that you probably wouldn't choose to have to think about it um, through, you know, a terrible illness or losing something that you should have valued a long time ago, like your own health.
Well, if you're somebody who's ever tried to buy a house and have been frustrated by it, or if you're thinking about buying your first house and the whole process confuses you, guess what? Today's Friday FinTech segment, we're going to talk about that with the people behind Diggs. And uh, I'm not going to explain Diggs. And by the way, before we get into our FinTech segment, once again, we do not endorse any of the companies that uh, we invite down to the basement to talk about what they do. We're just learning about these cool ideas along with you. So here from Diggs, let's say hello to Pat McLaughlin. And walking down the stairs to the basement, it's our new friend, Pat McLaughlin. How are you, man? I'm doing pretty good. How about yourself? Good. You guys at Diggs have been very busy. Congratulations, by the way, on making it uh, this far. I know uh, how exciting a time this is for you. Just about ready to launch Diggs. But tell everybody a little bit about why and how you got started. Yeah, actually, my partner and I started this thing about a year ago. Um, We actually launched in January of 2017. The idea came before that, though. So I bought my first house uh, when I was 25 years old. And I very quickly realized that I knew a lot more than all my friends did about buying a home. And everyone thought you still have to save 20%. They were just turned off by the whole mortgage process. That was really confusing. So Chad, my co-founder, being a renter, was interested in as well. And we got talking and kind of got on this rent to own. Rent to own has a bad reputation in the industry because a lot of landlords take advantage of, of renters for that reason. So we looked at an, an idea of how to like disrupt that model and kind of it evolved over time to what it is now, which is a savings plan for first-time homebuyers. It is incredibly frustrating when you talk to anybody buying a house. I'm in the middle of closing on another house, not my first rodeo, Pat. And even for me, it's not just uh, confusing, but it's frustrating. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's a process. I mean, when you're going through that process, you don't know what the numbers mean. Um, you talk to this, the mortgage lender, and the mortgage lender is telling you about points and telling you about closing costs that you've never heard of. Um, and our idea is to really just make that transparent and over the time that you're saving, educate you on that process so that when you actually are ready to buy a house, it's not as intimidating and not as confusing as it really is for most people. Yeah, it's so innovative. When I talked to you the first time when I was in Kansas City for our live show, I couldn't believe that I had never heard of anybody doing this before. It just seems very obvious that somebody would walk you through the process. Let's talk about how digs work. Do I start off by going to digs.co? Yep. Our URL is digs.co. And, uh, t- and and tell me how it works. I'm on the screen right now. It says, save for your first home, the only savings tool that helps you purchase your first home. And I, I guess I just click this get started link. Yeah. So we are about to launch. Um, we're going to be launching in January of, this, uh, of 2019. Uh, so we are right now a wait list and have beta users. But uh, sign up and, and you'll get notified right when we launch. Cool. So I click on get started when you do launch, let's walk through how it's going to work and exactly what people can expect. What happens then? We are an educational savings app for first-time home buyers. So what we do is we let you save for your first home. And what's unique about us is we contribute towards your account if you're proactively saving. So when you sign up, you're going to create an account similar to Acorns or Stash or Capital, some of the other um, savings apps that are out there. However, we're completely unique towards saving for your first home. So all the content in the app and all the goals that you're working towards revolve around that real estate purchase that you're working towards. So is it an app or is it web-based? So we are launching with a mobile-first web app. Everything that we design is intended for being used on your phone, but it is not available in the app store yet. I will be working on that for later in 2019. That's coming. Gotcha. Okay. And then, uh, so I sign up for my account. I obviously then link it to what, my uh, checking account or something? Correct. So you um, link it to whatever bank you use. Um, we make it really easy. Um, we connect with most of the financial institutions out there. Just put in your um, username and password and we'll link to your bank. At that point, you can set up either daily, weekly, or monthly contributions into your Digs account. And the Digs account is your home account. Gotcha. And then tell me about how it works that you match my savings or you add to my savings. I like, obviously, like anybody, I like free money. So explain that. Exactly. So a traditional savings account gives you interest off the funds that you have in your account. And that's going to be very small. 0.06%, I think, is the national average for a, a checking account or a savings account. But what we do is we do a contribution matching structure. So the more money you put in, we contribute onto your account. The only um, caveat to that is that our contributions are used towards a home purchase. So when you're ready to buy your home, they get unlocked at that time. 
But if you're actually serious about buying a home, these contributions far exceed anything that you would get in a savings account. I like that. A, uh, like a carrot at the end of this to make sure you follow through. Exactly. Sometimes we compare ourselves to a 401k, which um, in the sense that an employer contributes towards your retirement account, if you are as well. But different than a 401k, you also reward people for learning more about how the process works. Exactly. That's the big part of it. So a lot of people get stuck on the, the contribution matching, which is the core product. But what we really take pride in is the educational aspect. So an educated buyer is going to make a better financial decision. The first thing is a lot of people still think you have to put 20% down, which is simply not true. There's pros and cons of putting less down. But what we do is we take the opportunity as you save and as your account grows to teach you about that buying process in a fun and interactive way. So we have courses and we have quizzes that as you take them, you can get rewarded with additional contributions. I think that's great. So I sh- not only do I have the savings there, I have the matching stuff that can get on uh, also unlocked toward my house. I earn more money for knowing about the process. So not only do I have the funds for my home, I also know what the hell's going on, which is, <laughs> which is amazing. Let's talk a little bit about the money in the savings account because people out there, you know, whether they're commuting or walking the dog or whatever, Pat, they're wondering, is Diggs a bank? Is the money in an FDIC insured account? How does that account work? All of our money is FDIC insured. We are not a bank. We partner with an FDIC insured institution. So that's our banking partner. Okay. And then in terms of data, everybody worries, of course, about data privacy these days. All you read about are people's data being taken. Tell me about data privacy. Uh, Yes, your data is secured. Our onboarding process connects with your bank, but it's the top of the line bank security. And like I said, we have a banking partner that handles all all your funds. So we actually don't ever touch your money. So it truly is bank level security. 100%. Because it, because it's the bank. Uh, the site is digs.co and people go there to get on the waiting list? Correct. We will be launching uh, January of 2019. Can't wait. That's awesome. And then I know, and I shouldn't even talk about this before you launch, Pat, but that's probably not the end of development for you guys. Like what things do you have planned after the launch? This is, yeah, the first step. I mean, we're gearing towards first-time homebuyers for a number of reasons. One, they're the ones that have been scarred by the 2008 financial crisis. They are scared about buying a home. They still think you have to save a large portion of your down payment. So we're focusing on them. And they usually get a loan for the majority of their home just because they have less savings built up. As we grow, though, we will be offering more products towards homeowners that already have a home and people that are buying their second home and shopping around for different mortgages. So this is just the start. We think it's a great product, and that's um, why we're concentrating on the millennial generation. But um, we will be evolving, and I don't want to tell all my secrets. Right, deal. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Well, congratulations again to you and Chad and the team. The site, again, is digs.co. And if you're on your commute, walking the dog, whatever it might be, we'll have a link uh, to digs on our show notes page at stackybenjamins.com. Pat, thanks for hanging out with us for a few minutes. No problem. Thank you. Hey, trivia fans, I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and it's time for me to open another savings account. The interest I should be earning from this could help me earn money faster, maybe pay for fixing up the El Camino, or maybe someday even retire from this podcast early. What's the deal with companies not paying much interest anyway? I mean, you'd think it'd work more like the lottery where they say you put money in and a bunch comes out nearly every time. That'd get them customers, huh? Hey, speaking of getting paid, here's a guy who made lots of money during his career, NBA great Larry Bird. In honor of his birthday today, let's throw out this interesting trivia question. Did you catch that? Did you hear it? That's how the great ones do it, folks. Hey, anyway, Larry Bird was the highest paid rookie ever when he entered the NBA, inking a five-year, $3.25 million contract with the Boston Celtics. What year was Bird the sixth overall pick in the NBA draft? All right, there's absolutely no freaking way Paul is going to get this one. All right, we explained the rules backstage and uh, Paulette, very complicated game we play here on the show. I had to write down the instructions, but I think I, I'm okay. I'm sure you can feel the pressure. Uh, so we play Price is Right style, closest without going over. Would you, okay. You're playing on behalf of Len, which means you're winning by one. So the pressure's high. Would you like to guess first in the middle or last? I'm going to guess first. All right. And uh, then Paula, you want to guess in the middle or last? 
I will guess last. And OG, congratulations. So, Paulette, what year did Larry Bird get chosen sixth in the draft? 1987. 1987. And uh, your thought process there? Oh, God. Well, he signed, I don't know. I'm just guessing. I'm just, I'm hoping I don't look ridiculously stupid as I guess. Well, it's just a guess. Well, well, there you go. That's your rationale. <laughs> it's a guess. It's 1987. Uh, oh, gee, you are next. What do you think? What was the information that Doug gave about the $2 million or something? He signed a contract for $3.25 million over the course of five years, I believe. Which was the, like which that. was at the time the biggest contract ever for a rookie. Oh, it didn't provide any other. Okay. No. I wasn't really paying attention. I was on Twitter. Um, <laughs> so when, when was he drafted? The question is, when was he drafted? Yes. I want to say that he and Magic Johnson were around the same time. In fact, I do believe that Magic Johnson and Larry Bird played each other in the national championship. I could be wrong, but it, I thought I feel like it was around that time. I'm going to say uh, 1979. I like the look on Paulette's face while OG's answering. She's like, holy shit. Well, I went, okay. I went beyond the five-year contract and then thought if he got picked sixth from having the top contract, then probably a good deal of time went by. Gotcha. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know the basketballs and things. I don't know either, but Paula definitely knows. Stuff with the things. Yep. Doug's got a lot of confidence in you, Paula. Wow. By the way, did anybody else catch the symbolism of OG, you weren't you weren't paying attention to the question about Larry Bird because you are on Twitter. Anyone else catch that? Uh, am, I, am I just uh, Paulette? You caught that, right? You're a writer. I did not. Uh, oh, you think you, did, you think you? I'm didn't, there with you now. I'm with yeah, you now. Yeah, he definitely meant that too. That was <laughs> yes. Deep. We go deep here. Layers so deep. <laughs> All right, Paula. It's like an onion. Just the layers. The, y- yes. The yes. symbolic interpretation of every carefully scripted word. Paula's trying to buy herself time here. Enough. <laughs> I, I sure am. I'm going to guess 1983 because it's the year I was born. <laughs> oh boy. We're so excited to have been introducing you to Magnify Money for the last few years, and if you haven't gone there yet. I think you want to check it out. It's funny how even guests on the show talk about how they go to Magnify Money. So we're very pleased that since very close to the beginning, Magnify Money and Stacky Benjamins have been a team. If you head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash Magnify Money, you'll tell them that we sent you, which is important if we want to keep on podcasting, that people know that we sent you there. But here is what you get when you get there the best personal loan options, the best student loan refinance options, the best CD rates, the best auto loan options, best debt consolidation loans that are out there. If a credit score guide, how to complain to the CFPB if you have to do that, how to deal with collection agencies if you need to do that, how to compare personal loans, a guide to eliminating credit card debt, a credit monitoring identity theft guide. You can look at balance transfer credit cards, cashback reward cards, 0% credit cards, low interest credit cards, uh, savings account rates, checking accounts with zero fees. It's all there. 92% of all the products that you use in your daily life can be found at magnifymoney.com. When you're ready to compare, ditch, switch, and save, it's the number one place to go. So thanks for using our link when you've done that. StackyBenjamins.com forward slash magnify money. Paulette, 1987, feeling pretty good about that? Feeling great. (laughs) My area of expertise. (laughs) And then OG, 1979, feeling good? It's in the ballpark. And then, might be 80, might be 78, but I feel like it's around there. Paula, 1983. Did you say the ballpark? Oh. <laughs> He's on fire. He's completely on fire. All right. Uh, Doug, take it away, man. What's the answer? Hey there, trivia fans. While it doesn't solve the problem of getting no interest on my account, Joe's mom said she had interest in helping me solve my money issue. Maybe that's the best I'm going to get. 
Seriously, even a postcard that told me my overdraft fees paid for the bank president's kid's braces would have been appreciated better than nothing. But that's a problem I can solve on my own time with a quick trip to the Magnify Money website. Right now, let's dive into your trivia, which is this. In honor of Larry Bird's birthday today, in what year was Bird drafted sixth overall and scored the biggest contract for a rookie ever at the time? Here's your answer. Bird didn't sign with the Celtics immediately. Instead, he played out his final season at Indiana State and led the Sycamores to the NCAA title game against Michigan State and Magic Johnson. Red Auerbach from the Celtics said he wouldn't pay Bird more than any Celtic on the current roster, but Bird's agent bluntly told Red that Bird would reject any submarket offers and instead just re-enter the draft the next year and play for another team. Finally, the Celtics gave in and Bird signed the historic contract. What year's draft was it, though? If you said the year that the Susan B. Anthony dollar was minted, if you said the same year that Grease, Saturday Night Fever, and Close Encounters were all playing at the movie theater, if you said the year that the Commodores wrote the hit song, Three Times a Lady, or if you said 1978, you'd be correct. See ya. It's a trick question. I think that's a trick. Unacceptable trick question. He's off by year, and everybody's wrong. He was drafted in 78, but... He didn't sign the contract till 79. <laughs> That's right. Yes. You feel like so, flipping uh, somebody the Larry Bird. <laughs> <laughs> ah! <laughs> oh, that's so good. I, uh, that is so I good. I have all the details correct. So that's Bush League. Paulette, you love the way we just wasted like uh, five minutes with no winner. Isn't that great? That's great. At least everyone was wrong. Was, some would say I'm most wrong. Well, that's okay. We we wouldn't say that, even though G's nodding his head. Yeah. Ever since when I left college, I was just like, okay, that's it. I'm done pretending I care about sports. I'm so done. I'm just I'm missing that part of my brain that makes one care about the basketballs and things. Well, I don't know what's wrong with me. And then it's these important parts of your life, you know, like this being on Stacky Benjamins when that would have mm-hmm. paid off. Just think about how your life would have changed going back to the fog of life. Your life would have changed (laughs) immensely had you known that one. As as we talked about the downstream consequences of butterfly effect (laughs) situations. I just can't imagine what's going to happen next week or next year. All the things that could have happened that didn't. Because you didn't know about Larry Bird. She's hey. going gonna to turn into a sports reporter now. <laughs> oh, God. Nightmare. Hey, uh, speaking of something that's not a nightmare. Actually, that's a horrible transition. But we're, we're, <laughs> a nightmare of a transition, Joe. I guess. And it might be a nightmare for them because somebody actually wrote to us and asked us for help. So our letter today is from Aaron and Aaron writes, hi, Joe, OG, neighbor, Doug, and mom. I've been listening to the show for a few months and I appreciate all the information we aren't supposed to be learning. How do couples that don't agree on saving and spending habits get on the same page or even similar paths to FI? I put together a zero sum budget monthly and stick to it, but it falls apart every month when my wife decides she wants stuff when I'm out of town for work or wants to keep up with her girlfriends, getting massages, show tickets, etc., We share the same goal of being FI and retiring in our mid fifties, but we won't be able to do that without both of us getting on the same page for spending habits. I've suggested having separate checking accounts for this kind of spending, but it went over like a lead balloon. How do couples get on the same page? Paulette, let's start with you. What do you think? Ah! Oh, man, it's so hard. I mean, it doesn't sound like she's really that committed to the ultimate goal. You got to have that why later and really have her be excited about it. But also maybe they need to adjust their goals. I think they need to take it down to like a deeper level and say, okay, do you want to be able to do this stuff now or that stuff later? And I'm not good at this stuff like delaying gratification as they say like if I were a kid in the marshmallow test I would have like eaten the marshmallow before the person was even done explaining what it was all about but and it's weird that she does it when he's out of town that just seems a uh, financial infidelity as I've heard it described yes. um, sounds like the beginning of old school <laughs> what's what? so yeah it seems I don't know or maybe she's um maybe she's mad about something maybe it's like you don't get to tell me what to do maybe she feels like he's prescribing it rather than they're really in agreement about it. So maybe he thinks they're more in agreement than they really are. 
Yeah, because he says, oh, gee, that we both share the same goal, but no, you don't. yeah, it sure seems like they don't. No, you don't. <laughs> no, I mean, you could try the nuclear option, lose half your stuff now, but then you get to save all of your money moving forward. I mean, it's it happens. <laughs> It happens. It don't I mean you're laughing like it doesn't. The, the nuclear option. You're telling the dude to get a divorce. No, I'm not telling him to. I'm saying he could suggest it. <laughs> there's there's a leg balloon if, for them. If, 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 I was gonna say if you don't if you think the two separate checking accounts went over bad, try this one. Hey hon, I got some papers you need to sign. <laughs> um no, I mean from my perspective, this is exactly, you know, Paulette, what you said you guys aren't on the same page. There's no doubt about it. And so you have to figure out where the common ground is. Maybe she doesn't give a crap about retiring at 52 or something and would rather make sure that she can go get a massage right now. And Hey, PS, they're pretty good. So maybe you should do like a couple's massage and then, you know, maybe you'll like to do them from now on too, you know, and then you'll have some commonality or something. But the good thing about financial planning is that it's all about math it can just really be boiled down to math. You can put in as many variables as you want, but at the end of the day, it's just one giant math problem. And so without sounding too much like a jack wagon, you can kind of say, hey, I understand that you'd rather spend a little bit of money right now, which is totally fine. We still need to save X dollars. If we save these dollars, we can retire at 60. If we save these dollars, we can retire at 55. Heck, maybe she's already retired and doesn't really see a big difference between you stopping work at 55 and you stopping work at 60, except the fact that now you'll be around all the time to bellyache about her massages. So maybe she wants you to work a little bit longer. No, I mean, I'm, I'm, yeah, yeah it's a, no, no, a no, no. Tongue in cheek, yes. but I'm, but I'm kind of serious about it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, Paula, probably a smoother approach coming from Paula. <laughs> well, what I would suggest is if not having two entirely separate checking accounts, what if each of you, what if there was a some form of a yours, mine, and ours type of situation where uh, both of you agree that you want to save X amount of money per month, and then whatever money is left over outside of that, perhaps they could have a his fund, a hers fund, and an ours fund. And so what they can decide on is that, hey, this pool of money belongs to you and only to you, and you can do with it whatever you like. And this other pool of money belongs to me and only to me. And I can do with it whatever I like, including investing it if that's what I like to do. And then here's this other pool of money that's ours. And from the ours pile, we will spend some of it and save some of it. That way, each person has their own autonomy. They have their own control. There won't be a power struggle going on. But he- you know, there's. There's some money that each person has complete control over. I think she can invest it in massages. Yes. But I think it's deeper than that because he said that he, he talked about separate checking accounts for spending. And he said it went over like a lead balloon. Like it sounds like there's something deeper going on here, which is he says, I made a zero sum budget monthly and stick to it, but she's not. I, 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 yeah, she's not, she's not taking any of it seriously. She's not doing what I said that she needed to do with my money. I think we figured out where it is. Is that what we think? I mean, is this a case where there's, Paulette, you think maybe there should be a third party in the room? I think it's really all about focusing on where you want to be and using it as a positive thing. And one thing that I love, too, are visual representations of, you know, that graph. Like, I paid off $20,000 in debt by, like, making a graph every month, and it was surprisingly pleasing. And so he could the, be like, the thermometer, hey, the thermometer. Yeah. yeah. But like, oh, hey, here's the date we can retire now. And then every time she goes and gets a massage, like, oh, now it's, you know, two weeks earlier, like whatever. <laughs> um, but also it's, you know, she has to have, I love this book, uh, Switch by Chip and Dan Heath. Have you guys heard of that book? Yes. I think everyone who gives financial advice should, should read that book. It's so good. But they said you need an emotional impetus as well as a clear plan and an intellectual argument. And if she's not feeling the emotion behind let's be retired, let's have an awesome adventure starting in our 50s, and she sees it as, oh, my husband tells me what to do, then heck yeah, the second he's out of town, the story with the friends is, woohoo, husband's out of town, let's go get massages and have fun because he's just been restricting me. And that's all she sees. And there's a lot more to this, obviously, than than that. I mean, it could be keeping up with the Joneses type of thing. It could be all sorts of stuff. I think probably the simplest thing, Joe, you and I have talked about this before, is the 
you know, the weekly money meeting where maybe the right thing to do is just to sit down and go, here's the pile of money. Here's what's due this week. How do you think we should do it? And almost kind of put it back in the table of, you know, it's almost like monopoly money, right? Just kind of put it in the middle of the pile and say, what, you know, what, what should we do? The next check that comes in is going to be, you know, two Fridays from now, between now and then these are the, here's the bills, here's the money. What would you recommend? And when you kind of spend it, so to speak, even if you use something as tacky as monopoly money to spend, you kind of get the sense of like, oh my gosh, okay, yeah, well, after we pay the water bill, put away money for groceries and the mortgage, there really is only $82 left over this period of time or whatever. But do you get the feeling, do you get the feeling she might not take that seriously either? Paula, do you get that feeling reading this? No, no, I don't Hard get to that say. feeling. The, the feeling that I get is she has certain priorities. I mean, there's nothing wrong with deciding that you might not want to get to FI or early retirement by given date X that maybe you want to take a slower path if that's what's important to you so that you can enjoy a reasonable level of indulgences now. And if that's a conscious, deliberate decision that she's made, then, you know, I just wonder if they're on different pages in terms of their timeline and their goals. Maybe they do share the goal of fire, but at differing levels of intensity or at differing timelines. And if that is the case, then I don't know. I, I just wonder if her voice is being heard enough because, again, there's that I made a zero sum budget. OK, really? There wasn't a we there. Yeah. And the fact that she's spending when he's out of town, that to me is a red flag in terms of she doesn't feel the freedom or the autonomy to be able to spend when he's around, but she needs to exercise some freedom when he's not. And so that to me indicates that maybe she doesn't feel as though her voice is being adequately represented at the table. I found it maybe maybe I'm I'm internalizing too much my own experience when I was a financial planner because it it certainly read to me a lot like he's dictating financial stuff and then when she comes to the table she's like yeah I just don't want to listen to this like no 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 I've got my own my own stuff that I'm worried about, which by the way, a lot of the time having the third party in the room and it doesn't have to be a professional financial planner, but I know for Cheryl and I, like we can talk each other into anything. We can totally talk each other into stuff. But, but when we've had the discussion where there's a separate financial planner, not because I don't know what I'm talking about, but because of the fact that it just isn't me and her, there's somebody who is looking at us from the outside in saying, Hey, what do you guys think about this? it was easier for us then to begin having some of these conversations. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think in general, not going completely all in with your money, having some money that belongs to each of you individually, I think can be a, a very healthy thing. Yeah. I know a lot of people who are experts with, with money who have separate checking accounts. Uh, our friend Farnoosh Tarabi, uh, mm -hmm. talks about how separate checking accounts for she and her husband are great for their relationship. Exactly, because it gives you that sense of individuality. When you have no boundaries, then you can sometimes lose yourself in that. And and then there's a struggle to refine yourself. But when you have these firm boundaries around, this is my personhood, this is my individuality, and this pile of money is mine and only mine, uh, there's a lot of power within that. And well, in that way, like Paulette in a relationship, if she has her own checking account, she can eat all the marshmallows like very quickly. <laughs> Doesn't have to worry about anybody telling her what to do with the marshmallows. You know, what's funny is I actually have been like talking to my boyfriend about like, please save me from myself. The thing that I want in a relationship is like, please be in this case, the guy who's like, here's our budget, blah, blah, blah. I need someone to be an accountability partner for me. That's where I come from. And we've actually, like, I just started talking about, can we do a weekly meeting, whatever? And he's just like, I don't, he's like, I don't know what you want me to do. And I was like trying to make it very concrete. Just like, okay, what I need is for someone to be like, how much do we spend this week? Whatever. Because I'm always trying to find ways to put baby gates around my personality, which is very much marshmallow test fail. But I love that though. It's, I mean, a lot of it is, is know yourself and it's exactly, mm -hmm. oh gee, what you were talking about earlier, you know, that is specifically where the weekly meeting comes in. That's right. Yep. Yeah. Good stuff there. Thanks for the question, Aaron. If you've got a question for the show, head to stackybenjamins.com and you'll see at the top of the page, 
questions for the show, click that link and you'll see all the ways that you can interface with us. By the way, we are backed up on letters about two months, but the Haven Lifeline, we are uh, running low. So if you want to get the greatest money show on earth t-shirt, we have to bribe with t-shirts, Paula, on this show. So I've been thinking about bribing people with t-shirts on mine for, for success stories specifically. Oh, see, I that's... want more success stories. Everybody writes to us, but we have to bribe people with t-shirts to go to the Haven Lifeline. But stackybenjamins.com forward slash voicemail, and uh, you can take home some of our cool swag. Speaking of cool, it's time for us to let you cool people go. How about that? That's another bad transition. I'm sorry. Wow. Yes. That's a very cool transition. <laughs> hey, by the way, OG, what, what was the big thing that's two weeks from December 7th? Just something really awesome. Happens every year. My yeah, guess was on, your favorite kid's birthday. Yep. Fair enough. Close enough. Kind of, sort of. It is. Yep. It, it the is. Purge. It is the, the, <laughs> the purge. <laughs> that's when in his neighborhood, they close all the doors. Yeah. We, we Chaos take the reigns. gates up, but you know, we take the, the drawbridge up and fill the moat. So nobody else can get in. It's <laughs> exactly what we do. Yep. And there yeah. it is. No, it's the uh, beginning of the trek towards summer. Is it uh, the winter oh, solstice? Oh, it's the winter solstice. I was yes. going to guess that. Wait, yeah. Right. yeah. Wait, wait. That's the second most important thing that happens that day, but, yes. but it's close enough. It is, it is Paula, his favorite kid's, that day. It is, it's his favorite kid's birthday, him. Jesus. <laughs> it is, yes. Uh, four days before Jesus's birthday, uh, as like a predictor, and only a few years after that, OG was born on the 21st. Uh, what a nice day. Yep. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's find out what's going on. We're- Send all your birthday cards. Yeah. I was going to say, how do I follow that? Paula, tell us what's going on at Afford Anything. On the Afford Anything podcast, I am putting out a show about AI and the future of jobs. So artificial intelligence mm-hmm. and uh, what that might mean for jobs and career and work and life in the future. It's taking all of our jobs. We're all <laughs> Pretty soon, this entire show will be intelligently produced. <laughs> oh, God. We, we well, can... hey, did you guys see my story today about cybersecurity? If you need a job, a well-paying job, they're taking anyone with a pulse who can type pretty much for cybersecurity jobs. So, Is that why cybersecurity you... is so awesome and is working so well? It's because you only have to have a pulse? <laughs> the minimum criteria is fog a spoon. <laughs> <laughs> yes, so tune into the Afford Anything podcast to learn more about intelligence. <laughs> <laughs> OG, what do you got coming up this week besides more fun with us? Oh, man, we're just getting so close to the end of the year. The last couple of weeks of school, all sorts of fun stuff coming up. Yeah, very fun. Division Paul- three national championship, division two national championships are coming up. How exciting. Those, I can, Paulette's excited games. by both of those too. Yeah, she's, you yeah. can, you can tell by her, yeah, Larry Bird trivia that she's super excited about division three and division two championships coming up. Paula, thanks for hanging out with us today. Oh, it's so fun. Thank you so much. So what are you writing about lately besides cybersecurity and fogging a spoon? I am writing at fogoffun.com about taking my head out of the sand and what I see is not good. And then on uh, my other website, uh, Welcome to the Writer's Life, I'm talking about group coaching and writing and trying to make it as a writer. So I'm really kind of bringing these two brands my from my book, Welcome to the Writer's Life and off fun to say like, Hey, how can creatives make it financially as I figure it out myself? <laughs> and we will link to those on our show notes page at stackybenjamins.com. Doug, take it from here, man. What should we have learned today? Sure thing, Joe. Why don't you and OG get back to practicing your really heart touching rendition of summer loving from Greece. I'll tell everybody what they should have learned today. First, take some advice from the round table gang. Do some long-range planning, but keep it flexible. While you don't know the future, you can shape it if you carve out time and energy to decide where you want yourself to end up. Second, saving for a house? Take some advice from the guys at digs.co. Set it up automatically so you don't even see the money. In fact, this isn't just great advice for house savings. Automate all of your savings. But the big lesson... Make sure your savings accounts are completely optimized. This new savings account is amazing. It's online. I feel like a million bucks. 
let's do the math here. Uh, uh, my 2% return on all my savings, all 18 bucks of it is, what the f- 36 cents? Son of a... Special thanks to Joe's mom for explaining to me compounding interest. It appears if I reinvest the 36 cents every year, I'll get to $10 of interest well before 2030. Yeah, I'm pretty much setting in butter. Thanks to Paulette Perhatch for joining us. You'll find Paulette at pauletteperhatch.com. Paula Pant appears courtesy of affordanything.com. This show was created by Joe Saul Cihai, produced by Richie Rutter-Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I just noticed it's just as dark and damp down here as Joe's soul. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remuneration. There's no way you would take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only, and before making any financial moves, consult with a real financial advisor. Welcome to the after show. This is the part of the show that doesn't exist, Paulette. What happens here stays here. All right. You can't okay, talk good. about it. Yes. Is that why you don't have any clothes on? <laughs> that's, that's right. That's why I'm not oh wearing boy. pants. Yes. It just went from zero been, to a hundred right, uh, right there. Somebody put in our basement Facebook group an onion piece. Did you see that one, OG? The one that was... Um, I don't go on Facebook anymore. They steal my information. Yeah. Information. It, 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 hackers. It was... Uh, Explanation of uh, board game rules, like always followed by saying oh, yeah. over and over, "This will." I promise this will be fun. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. My favorite is playing board games with Joe when he'd be you get about two thirds the way through the game. You think you've got to figure it out. You're going, okay, I see the strategy now. And he goes, "Oh, hold on, I forgot to tell you guys one thing." So the blue guy always can do this, and you're like, "What?" I would have totally been the blue guy then the entire time. Had I known that the problem is I so. never win though. I always forget a rule in our, I feel like you say that. So you feel like other people think it must be true, but I also don't think that's reality. It, it is. I never win. I never, See, that's ever. Why I just, I just stick with like shoots and ladders, right? It's uncomplicated. <laughs> it's simple. <laughs> that's exactly yeah. it. Paula shoots and ladders, your favorite game. It is pretty good. Uh, and Cards Against Humanity, except that I played it so much that I exhausted the deck. Like, everything was so familiar. You know, if you tell a, the same joke over and over, it stops being funny. Mm-hmm. I played it enough to hit that point. Well, what I don't oh, like, what I don't like about Cards Against Humanity is I'll play with a group of people. And instead of trying to make the 97% of the deck funny, like situationally, they just mm-hmm. keep looking for the three cards that are funny by themselves. And it mm-hmm. drives me crazy. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not that mm-hmm. great. Paulette, your favorite game? I was trying to think. I feel like I'm just not playing that many games these days. My favorite game is is going through my email these days, sadly. <laughs> fog of work. Game, fog of work. I am in it. Um, I got the game Payday, and I wanted to play it with someone and record a podcast while we were playing it. So I'm excited about that. But yeah, I like uh, I like card games a lot when people actually get into it. But yeah, I really want to like clean out that space and just sit around and play like a lazy afternoon of card games soon. I like poker. It's fun. Yeah. Poker is fun. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. 
I like Romy. I have that game Cash Flow Quadrant. Remember in the book Rich mm-hmm. Dad Poor Dad how Robert Kiyosaki oh, yeah. talked up that game a whole lot? It's uh, terrible. Yeah, I I have it. It's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> it's fun to play online. Don't it. Mm. Oh, I didn't know I don't there know was an online version. Yeah, it's uh well, I don't know if it's still around, but it used to be. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. just kind of a you could play you play by yourself, you know, and it you can kind of go through in about thirty minutes or whatever. Mm-hmm. I always fail like miserably. Game. We had this game for a while that you could play. It's on the TV, but everyone has that like on their cell phone. Fibbage. Draw things. Oh, it's really fun. And it's one of the pack was, you don't know Jack. So it was by the people who made that, but it was so much fun because you could just like use your cell phone. That was the last time I remember like really having fun. Yeah. There's a game Paula in that uh, pack called Fibbage that we play. We don't play the Mm -hmm. drawing one. We play the one where you make up answers. That's so fun. We did that. We did that like for two hours at uh, new year's last year, like a bunch of us, like you could have 10 people sitting around playing that thing. Mm-hmm. It's really fun. And you can draw anything as your like little avatar. <laughs> my favorite uh anything. Anything. My favorite card from the old version of Payday was the one from Mr. McGregor's because you, you get the mail. And I remember being like 10 years old and going to get the mail in the game Payday. And I always thought it was so cool to get like this adult male, like, I mean, not adult. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right. Go on. I mean, I mean, I thought it was fun. Yeah. Let me back off that a little bit. I thought it was fun to like get bills and stuff. I thought that was neat, but they had these postcards and one was a letter from Mr. McGregor's fence company. And it says, dear so-and-so, we regret to inform you that when we said your your fence was 25% off, we were referring to the height, not the price. Uh, I thought that was brilliant. thought that was fantastic. <laughs> Still like my favorite you guys, Did you ever play Mario Paint when you were young? Mario Paint? Okay, so not that many people know about this game. And my best friends and I played it all summer, one summer. And you can, it's like, now that I love Adobe stuff, it's basically Adobe for kids. You can draw, you can make animations and write music. So we would make these like weird little cartoons, write music to them, and then tape it on the VCR and show our parents at the end of the day. And it was like the coolest thing in the world. Wow. I remember playing with the Microsoft Paint, like just a little program. Yeah. And I would like make banners and stuff like that. That doesn't sound all over the house. It doesn't sound as structured as Mario Paint. No, I mean, MS Paint was good times when you like made everything go crazy and then just like filled in all the little spaces. Yeah. And I, I was like a little act like when I was like seven, eight, nine years old, I was a little activist. So I would like print out all of these flyers about like animal rights and I would then <laughs> hang them up all over my house. <laughs> Did you convert your parents? Not even remotely. <laughs> I can I can see your dad after meeting your dad at FinCon. I can totally see him just telling you, Paula, take those down. <laughs> oh man. Okay, so my dad met Joe at FinCon, and then he turns to me and he goes, "So is he one of the Benjamins?" <laughs> <laughs> Did you say he's the Benjamin? He's the yeah. Benjamin. Yep. The Benjamin. <laughs> he's the head Benjamin. That's funny. Mm-hmm. Well, stackers, the show is over, but the party is just beginning here. You know why? Because it's Military Appreciation Month, and we are giving out shout-outs to all of our friends who have served in the military. And let's point uh, the finger right here at our good friend OG, who spent time in the military. And of course, we know what a giver he is, even when he pretends like he's being uh, Mr. Surly. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members to help them reach their goals. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate, and you'll see all their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. They've got all kinds of resources on their site, like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. So much going on. Just head over to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate. Take a look at all the Military Appreciation Month offers and their usual offers. Navy Federal, our members are the mission. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.